0: Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonises history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello, welcome to season two, episode eight of It's a Continent. The final episode of this season so yeah definitely has gone way too quick but yeah here we are the final episode here we
1: are can you actually believe it we've now done two seasons all of this has been achieved in 29 29- no it's not 29 gosh Look at me throwing it back mentally. I'm I'm stuck in twenty nineteen. It's twenty twenty and we've managed to do two seasons. I'm loving it.
0: Mate, through lockdowns and
1: madness and yeah, we've we've managed to do that. So Incredible. Yeah. And thank you for like just Crazy. sticking with us through it, guys. Cause yeah. Yeah it's been <laughs> It's been an experience. It's been an interesting journey. No, we
0: definitely appreciate all the support, all the listeners that have, yeah, supported us on
1: this journey. Before we get into it this week, I wanted to share my African pride this week I wanted to highlight two books and their authors which I'm excited about adding to my book collection absolutely got plenty of time to be doing that now a lot of time to read now so much time (laughs) do you know what this thing has taught me is how much I actually bail at things I've got no way of getting out of this I can't be like oh no I've got other (laughs) plans what other plans being indoors
0: (laughs) well yeah that is a plan in itself that is (laughs) true sorry I'm in the bath I can't come to your zoom quiz (laughs) washing your hair actually is a legitimate
1: excuse this time around. Definitely, definitely. It's actually for people can actually take that seriously. No, it it actually. But you could still still do that tomorrow and the day after that. That is also true. The first book that I want to highlight is by Dr. Shola bamimu a woman who Chin and I have been following on social. Oh my god, we love her. How much we follow her, her and how much I go on her social media and just love to watch (laughs) on television. (laughs) worries me sometimes because this woman is incredible. Absolutely. Dr Moshe Shobamimu is a qualified attorney and solicitor and she's also a vocal political and women's rights activist. And I'm really excited to see that she has written a book. It's titled This Is Why I Resist, where she discusses the roots of racism and anti-blackness in the UK and the US, and also provides insight into racial gatekeepers, white ingratitude, and performative allyship. Loving all the keywords oh, that they're yeah. throwing at the back of this book. Love
0: but a black square.
1: Love all of this. I'm really excited for her and just cannot wait. I love the fact that this woman has put pen to paper and is writing a book out there. So definitely one that I'm recommending. Yep. No, I can't wait to read that. And especially just kind of addressing the
0: the black squares that have probably been archived by now, but <laughs> not by our lovely
1: listeners though. We know that you guys, you know, not about that life. My second book is by Ife Adenuga and her book Endless Fortune. So, she is the mother of four incredibly creative kids made up of two MCs, a broadcaster, a graphic designer, So in her memoir, she provides insight into her lived experience of the Nigerian Civil War, which we covered in season one, episode one. And she describes how during that time, death became the boogeyman that visited us every other week to steal one of us. Mm. So yeah, the story takes you through her and her family's story from Nigeria to the UK. And I basically want them to be our next television family. Do you remember watching like the Osbournes? Oh my Do you remember gosh. them having a reality TV <laughs> like that? But I don't want them to be that level. I just want like a nice, just black family who are doing the damn thing <laughs> black- that you can just be like, yes. I i didn't i just win it. Do you
0: mean like what the smiths kind of try
1: to do <laughs> yeah mm, I, I but like without I'm, I'm,
0: entanglements
1: without entanglement so yeah for me these two african women are just yeah representing our continent and doing our history justice with all of the content that they're producing so yeah thank you that was what i will be doing for the next four weeks <laughs> yes
0: yeah. feel free to send us book recommendations as well Uh, i need a pretty long reading list so thanks everyone um those of you who sent suggestions for topics that we should cover this season we do listen and deliver and that's why we've decided to end the season with one of africa's island countries as we've yet to cover an island i don't think we've we're on an island yes we're on an island (sighs) yes so, this week, we're in Madagascar to discuss the Malagasy uprising, which was the independence movement which saw the Malagasy people fight to end French colonial rule. So, no surprises there with the French, obviously. We need to keep a tally of, like... Oh, my gosh. I'm... Britain. <laughs> oh. Is there a leaderboard or Some something? Kind of... We could just keep tack- Oh,
1: <laughs> Where are they now? Do you remember But when you, I had to do, like, maths... Um, equations and add things up or you would literally draw like a tally and be like one two three four five okay and then push that like dash across it and then count them all up to make sure i had added up correctly it's a tally chart chart. yeah
0: yeah yeah literally helps you count in fives Mm -hmm. it's really useful when you have a mobile phone in your pocket but anyway (laughs) (laughs) madagascar is located on the southeastern coast of the continent and is the fourth largest island in the world The country has a lot of interesting connections, with studies showing that the origin of the country's people is Indonesian, which is located more than 3,000 miles away. It's unclear why and how this Indonesian influence found itself in the country. Some historians claim that the first people to settle in Madagascar were Indonesian and travelled to the country. Following this, the African cultural elements were embedded. Other historians believe that travels across India, the Arabian Peninsula, and Africa mainland led to the population being already mixed. From a language perspective, the national language Malagasy is influenced by the Bantu, Malay, Arabic, French, and English. So although it's a small island off the continent, it's always been influenced by many cultures. There is more to Madagascar than the film. I don't know if you remember that film with...
1: Oh, the cartoon.
0: (laughs) With... (laughs) Yeah... I used to love
1: oh, that. I used decade. to love that. <laughs> was that, but were, were we too old when that came out? You know, sometimes I do think programs that I used to watch and I'm like, oh, you might have just been a smith. Yeah. That was not for you. That was- <laughs>
0: yeah. I remember I was like doing all the impersonations in school in year six, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if that counts as too old or but not. But to
1: be fair, it doesn't matter. I still rewatched The Lion King and stuff. Timeless classic. Oh, yeah, that's true. We couldn't cover. A country without britain somehow getting involved we don't make it happen for some reason the british just found themselves in so many different <laughs> no,
0: are you even an african country if britain is not attempting
1: <laughs> imagine <laughs> that's a litmus test imagine that is so true Britain has somehow always had an influence and relationship with Madagascar. So in the 18th century, King Radama I of Madagascar understood the importance of education and he was determined to modernize his country. And so he signed a treaty of friendship and peace with Great Britain in 1817. And he also encouraged British Christian missionaries to establish schools in Madagascar. Madagascar was predominantly being fought for by France and Britain. France wanted ownership of the country and was doing everything it could to have that ownership. This led to the Franco Malagasy War of 1883 to 85 between the French and the Malagasy people, the outcome of which was unclear and ended with a treaty being signed. Britain worked to prevent France from having full access with Britain's foreign secretary in 1862, stating that the king of Madagascar should maintain his independence and that no foreign power should interfere by force or by intrigue with the peaceable administration of his territory.
0: Yeah, what? Is that a British person's... Britain
1: out here! What? When I was researching, I was like, is this... Was he being for real here? Should not interfere by force or intrigue. The word that got me was intrigue. You're just out here, like oh, I fancy a bit of that. Do you know what I mean? This, what is this? A slice of cake? By force or intrigue? Intrigue. Yeah, no, it's an excuse. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, I ended up here, and we just colonised you because we were intrigued. So, isn't that what happened to Christopher Columbus? Like... Like, oh, here we are. <laughs> <sighs> Crazy wording. Honestly, the choice of words. But Britain soon changed its position when, in 1890, it recognised Madagascar as a French protectorate. And France continued to put pressure on the Malagasy people and its government, which in turn led to the Prime Minister at the time being exiled. And following this, the Queen of Malagasy at that time signed a treaty recognising Madagascar as a French protectorate. So a lot of the things that happened at the time was basically France putting a lot of pressure on the government, you know, having troops out there to just take control. And it really, it just kind of feels like when I was reading up on this, that the pressure on top of pressure, that it just kind of yeah, weakened the state, mm-hmm. and they just had to kind of hand it over to France, really, and France took over.
0: Yeah, it's weird that Britain kind of seemed to hand it over to France like that. I don't know. It just seems like they weren't the sort of colonial power to surrender like that. So yeah, it's quite an interesting uh, the motivations behind that.
1: I think it's because at the time, and I can't quite remember which other African countries Britain was interested in at that time but they were being distracted by other things. So I think they were kind of keeping France away to kind of give them a bit of time to kind of go back to it. But somehow, they, yeah, up. do you know what I mean? And then somehow it was just like, okay, <laughs> it fell through. Madagascar is now France's. It's
0: so like second option, like...
1: <laughs> imagine.
0: It's kind of, yeah, it just shows the way that they saw these kind of, you know, the land, the country, the people um, just kind of... as as goods in a sense because they're like oh okay you know when you're like trying to bid on stuff on ebay or you know on depop or something (laughs) you're looking at stuff you're like oh i'm just gonna save that but i don't want it i'm just gonna save it so that if i
1: come back in a week's time it'll still be there hopefully i'll buy it you know yeah it's It's weird because when you look back at you know in the 18th century and the king of madagascar at that time really showing quite a lot of respect to britain and actually being like you know, we want you guys to come in here and, you know, build schools. Yeah. We want you guys to help us, support us with modernising and everything. And to then kind of have this weird relationship. I, d- I don't know. I just find it quite disrespectful. <laughs> it's
0: just Not, uh, Most things that were that, <laughs> like, done at the time were disrespectful. Uh, so, In
1: 1946, Madagascar became an official overseas territory of France, meaning France was now its official owner. At that time, around 35,000 French citizens already lived in Madagascar. That same year, a group of Malagasy people galvanized and formed the Madagascar nationalist movement called the Democratic Movement for Malagasy Renewal (MDRM). The MDRM was formed on February 22, 1946, and within a year, it had more than 300,000 members the movement's primary objective was to end French colonial rule and they also supported their members with employment and social services. So remember at this time, like, the island is small.
0: Yeah, wait. (laughs)
1: 300,000 members. Like, yeah. They were getting people together. That's the
0: majority of the population. You know what I
1: mean? And also, it's just, what surprises me is how quickly they were able to bring the MDRM together because France gained official ownership and Madagascar was officially under them in 1946. And that same year, This group came about.
0: Yeah, it kind of speaks volumes as to what was actually happening or like how they felt they were being treated by the French. You know, they were able to go from the Queen of Malagasy signing a treaty to this where they now want to end French colonial rule. So yeah, it just kind of sums up the the mood of, of the nation at the time. A lot of people were just tired of it, really. Yeah, definitely. The Malagasy uprising, also sometimes referred to as the Madagascar revolt, took place on March 29th 1947. On this day, thousands of Malagasy people decided to take their country back and fight the French for ownership. The uprising saw French military camps invaded, raids on police stations occur in the east and the south of the country, with the uprising quickly spreading across the whole island. The news of the uprising quickly got back to French officials and they were taken aback by the surge, as the population was seen as meek, France needed to take back control, and they increased their presence from eight thousand soldiers to eighteen thousand soldiers who were armed and fought against the Malagasy people who weren't heavily armed at all and who were using spears and knives. Again, it's kind of like using—it's a form of brutality in a sense because these are unarmed people that are just protesting peacefully. Um, and you know that there are examples that will. Across the continent, really, where there have been attempts to
1: crush nationalist movements. Yeah, they take it to such an extreme where it's like 8,000 yeah. soldiers to 18,000 soldiers.
0: Yeah, why? Yeah, what do you need the 10,000? Like, what? It's like, just so unnecessary.
1: But I think it just goes to show how much France weren't going to back down so easily and give them back their country. You know, they were like, Itals, we're going to fight you for it, kind of thing. and. I think a reason for that is for comes from how long France kind of fought to get Madagascar in the first place, which still, to be honest, does not give them the right to be doing all of this.
0: (laughs) It is. Yeah, it's a sense. they feel that they do actually own the island as well as the islanders Mm -hmm. and as well as all the material goods you get from the island. So, yeah, they although obviously we're not on the side of the colonizers, but you can kind of see why they are. Selfishly (laughs) invested in preserving what's at stake. During the uprising in the town of Muramanga, a massacre broke out. According to accounts, Malagasy activists had stopped three train wagons with 166 captured Malagasy people inside. For fear of the people inside the wagons trying to liberate themselves, French soldiers shot inside the wagons with their machine guns and killed those inside. There were many other atrocities committed, including Malagasy people being thrown out of airplanes alive. Yeah. That's actually quite shocking. Um, yeah, I, I've actually just never heard of such a thing being done about people throwing other human beings out of airplanes just because because of the selfish
1: ambition of the French at the time. They were just, yeah, doing whatever it took to keep control of the country
0: It's the point where they're not even valuing the the life
1: of a human being anymore, you know? No, definitely. I fully agree. I fully agree. And it's like, there's no accountability. Yeah. It's because it's yours, you can do whatever you want with it. There's no, where is anyone kind of saying, actually, stop this? And, That, for me, is so worrying that they were able to do that and get away with it. Yeah. But to be honest, it's still, there are still things even today that will happen. And, you know, people are and countries are able to get away with it because they have that power and um, influence. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now I can think of a few in my mind already, actually. And I was also thinking as well, with just regard to this, I was thinking how come we kind of haven't heard of this before, just coming from living in the UK perspective. There was an article I'd read, I can't remember which like which publication it was, but they were saying around how those of us in the UK, we don't know what really happened in French colonies, just much in the same way that in France, they don't know much about what happened in British colonies. So it's just quite interesting to see that it's a history that's just completely lost. If you thought that we don't know much about the British Empire, I'd kind of wait until you hear about the, the other, other European empires. Yeah.
1: No, definitely, definitely. It's like, Maybe it's because they'll just realise how similar they were, in fact, and you know, what they <laughs> it's were like doing. Spider-Man yeah. <laughs> Just like, oh!
0: Back in France, the uprising had also caused severe alarm, as the French feared seeing a similar uprising in their home country. Although the Malagasy people were determined in their objective, The French armed forces soon descended on the group and restored order, quote unquote, obviously. The French government had suspicions that the trouble started on March 29th wasn't just caused by Malagasy groups, but also by their rivals, Britain and America. Oh, look at America getting Mm -hmm. involved. I don't know why America just always...
1: (laughs) It's like Britain and America just being like, Hello. Um, tag
0: team yeah you didn't
1: invite us here <laughs> but here i am yeah. and i didn't even bring cake or a bottle of wine that's the that's the kind of guests they are at a party the ones that you didn't send them an invite but somehow they found themselves there and they didn't even bother bringing anything the audacity
0: they didn't get the broadcast but somehow they've texted you saying they're coming. yeah on like, my
1: what? way just outside <laughs> yeah they're the kind of people that give you 30 <laughs> seconds to tell you that they're out there. and you're like yeah Really? Why couldn't you've given me like at least three hours so I could have cancelled it?
0: They're the sort that will just like eat all the food, drink all the drink, and go home.
1: <laughs> no one will say anything. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you're like no, I didn't. But really disappointed there weren't any vegan <laughs> <Yeah>. options. <laughs> like a Karen. <laughs> That's who they are.
0: There were rumours that at an MDRM meeting, the party leader had said that the purchase of arms for our future state is going well. Let us thank the English. By 1948, France had regained control of most of the country. It's unclear the exact number of people who lost their lives during the uprising, but it's estimated to be around 90,000 to 100,000 people, which was at that time more than 2% of the country's total population.
1: As part of the uprising and the MDRM group, I wanted to highlight a key person that I kind of discovered during my research and this was MDRM member Giselle Rabisahala. She was a visionary who was committed to seeing Madagascar free from French colonial rule. Giselle was born in 1929 and was raised in France, Tunisia and Mali. And during her teenage years, she returned to Madagascar with her family and joined the MDRM as its secretary. She climbed the ranks and became the first female politician, was elected as municipal councillor, and became a political party leader and eventually a minister. Following the Malagasy Uprising, there were many casualties and family who needed support. And so she also created the Madagascar Solidarity Committee to support them. So, yeah, I just wanted to recognise someone who at such a young age was able to be so clear and have such clarity and a clear purpose um, was incredible. And just, yeah, the part that she played within MDRM and also forming part of the uprising as well.
0: Yeah, we definitely always want to shine a light on African women that have been part of key historical moments that, aren't recognized in the way that they should be. France was concerned that Britain and the US were interested in Madagascar especially as the country had great natural resources which could be exploited and its location meant that whoever had control of the country had great access and control of the Indian Ocean. France's paranoia was reaffirmed by its rivals plans in World War Two as Winston Churchill at the time believed that if the Japanese were able to gain access to Madagascar, they could use it as a base to impede Britain's communication with its empire. This is why the British government executed Operation Ironclad. The mission of the operation was to seize the port of Diego Suarez, now known as Antsiranana. Following the uprising, numerous Malagasy people were sent to prison and some sentenced to death. France still maintained a hold on Madagascar, with the French president at the time, François Mitterrand, claiming that the future of Madagascar will be inseparably linked to France's future. This made the prospect of a free Madagascar seem almost impossible. However, in 1956, France gave its overseas territories the option to decide how they wanted to operate. This led to a referendum. I'm no longer triggered, by the way. I'm, I'm we okay can say it with calm okay. and
1: peace and ease. I, 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 Comfort I, I, as well. I, if, <laughs> i dare say
0: (laughs) i feel at ease Mm -hmm. the referendum held in 1958 where the malagasy people voted for independence and this decision was made official on june the 26th 1960 when the country became independent it's a story that we don't hear much about the uprisings against european empires we often are served with this kind of narrative that oh no, but the empires were a good thing. But actually, this is just one example of the amount of bloodshed that has occurred cause of these empires so it is important that we continue to bring them to light
1: yeah definitely and the fact that this country what frustrated me is when the uprising happened france saw had this opinion that madagascar was quite weak and this meat country yeah. but actually they were fighting it's like they'd forgotten the war that they had in 1883 between uh france and yeah. like, do you know what i mean like they're, they're yeah. not backing down they've never backed down they've always been there ready to protect their country and so it just happened that i think sometimes when you get you're attacking again and again there's only so much resource and people for such an island so it's amazing what this country was able to achieve especially getting so many people together having this uprising and really just defending themselves uh, was amazing and i just find it so intriguing how all of a sudden we go through from, you know, France being there to Winston Churchill and World War II and Japan. There were just so many different elements. There was a
0: lot of players. Yeah, a lot of
1: players involved, um, yeah, within it. That was our trip to the island of Madagascar. There were so many cultures involved and even within its story, so many different other kind of countries involved wanting their own piece of the island as well for different agendas. That comes to our final episode of the season. Yes. A massive thank you to everyone who listens, who supports us, everyone who has collaborated with us this season. We've done a lot of collaboration with so many um, different people. So thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: We'll be back with season three eventually. No, we'll be back with
1: season three. (laughs) We will be back with season three.
0: We'll be back. Um, We'll probably do another call-out, I think, for topics that you want us to cover um so watch out for that on our social channels so make sure you're following us at it's a continent on twitter and at it's a continent pod
1: on instagram follow us i'm sure we will be on these mics back again
0: i mean there's nothing else to do is there
1: Yeah, there's also that. I was trying to create a bit of intrigue and, like, oh, will they? When will they? But you, yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll message you other no, and wait. be like, oh my gosh, we've not covered this country. Have you heard about this? And be like, okay, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Let's that, cover don't it. Worry. Let's that cover it. We'll be back. We'll be back. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye.